Does it matter what I look like that you think me boy or girl? Does it matter if my hair is short or long and holds a curl? Does it matter if I feel as if nature got my body wrong? Because I see the world from eyes that sing a different song. Why does myself offend you? Why can't I wear a dress? Why are adults so scared to know all the ways that I am blessed? At one I sighed to say what at two I could read out. At three I dressed in mummy's heels and danced myself about. At four I asked to be a girl. At five my, my teachers started to hate. At six we moved to feel more safe and I'm stronger now I'm eight. But bullies come from all backgrounds, all kinds of occupations. They judge me weird and silence me. I become a bad relation. But what if they are incorrect and there is no boy or girl? What if the only deviation is how we see the world? Pregnancy, birth, parenting, it means so many different things to so many different people. What does living a healthy reproductive life mean in the context of reproductive justice? Our birth conversations are the kind that often get left out of the mainstream. I promise, like life, we'll leave you with some answers, but perhaps more questions. These are birth conversations that matter. These are the birth talks. Are you ready? That was the amazing 11-year-old trans activist Charlie Lothian Rickert. I'm your host, Mai. In Parenting Beyond the Binary, I go back and forth in a conversation with Giselle, a full-spectrum doula about the importance of offering tailored support for LGBTQ families, and Leroy Newbold on how black midwives and his community shaped his experience as a black trans parent. So my name is Giselle Johnston, and I am a full-spectrum doula living in Toronto. I live in the West End um, with my partner and my little 10-pound terrier. Mm. My work actually started out with postpartum support, um, in particular for a same-sex family who, um, so gay dads who had um, a child that was slightly older, but then they also had infant twins. Um, so it was like having three kids under like a year and a half. Um, so very, very busy household. Um, and I met them and I was just like, these people are amazing. Like they're so welcoming. Also, they're so like fun and cool. And um, it wasn't just about providing support to the babies and to them. It was really a part of like, I felt like a part of the family right away. Um, and because they were so fun, there were always really cool things to do with the, the babies, even though they were so young and they didn't really know much of anything, but just like being around them, their their life and like their zest for life definitely rubbed off on me. The parents like really loved their kids and really offered them a lot and like really great experiences. And so just to be a part of a family that like two people are really happy and love and also like they really care about their children and what they're doing. And because you're a part of that experience too, like you're, you know, you're so involved, but you're also really um, treated really well um, and very well cared for. Like one of the dads was by no means a chef, but you know he was just an amazing cook and really, really like a, like a diehard foodie. So there's always amazing stuff in the fridge to eat and to like whip up, um, and like lots of options to make, you know, like solids for the babies or whatever it was. So that was really, really cool. Yeah. So I just got so excited when I thought about, okay, you can do birth work, you know, like this is something that you obviously are so, 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 so passionate about. And the more I read and the more I understood about um, 
about birth and how difficult it is, even though it's such a rewarding thing, it's really intense. And I find that a lot of people don't know what's out there in terms of care providers. Like that's still, you know, a lot of people don't even know that you can have a midwife. You don't have to have a doctor. And the more I read and understood how the birth world is sort of organized, I realized that there was a really, really big gap to fill in terms of providing really, really hands-on support for people and just like emotional support and informational support, like really solid evidence-based stuff, but also like here's research that I've done and this is what's offered in our particular city, you know, so people don't have to go on the internet and then get lost in all these Google searches and then be so, so overwhelmed. And and you've got a specific focus of working. Um, I know you work with, with all families, but, but uh, also really supporting queer families. And the reason why I actually approached you is because I saw that you offered um, childbirth education um, for queer families. Can you tell me a bit more about that yeah. and how that works? Definitely. So that is a project that I like has been, you know, something I wanted to do for a long time. Um, and finally, I paired up with another doula, Kira Liss, uh, area. and we went to Chicago and we took the birthing from within training together because it's definitely something that we feel fit for of training and the way we want to, to provide information to folks. So we took that training together because we're both uh, queer doulas and we were really interested in providing a workshop or a class offering to folks who are queer and trans. So the way I describe our class and our sessions in general is it is, you know, childbirth education, but without all the heterosexist BS. Because on Fortunately, you know, a lot of classes that you're going to go to, the people who are leading the classes are very often so um, heavily entangled in this, like, this language of mommy and baby and daddy. And sometimes you'll find people say things like mommy and partner or, you know, the the mother and the partner. Um, But it's really important to note that not everybody giving birth identifies as a woman or as a mother. Um, And so some people will be like really, really mind blown by that because we tend to equate um, gender with um, with sex. And they're really two different things. Somebody can be assigned female at birth and later on in their life, they feel, you know, like that doesn't fit me. That doesn't feel good. And they might decide to, um, to, you know, start affirming their gender that they feel in themselves and say you know actually I'm not a woman I am non-binary or I'm gender fluid or I'm actually a trans person Um, so it was really really important for us to have education that was way more inclusive and I started using language like birthing parent or birthing person uh, support person or partner because we also have to remember that not everyone who starts in a family is doing so with another parent in mind or with a partner right they're definitely solo parents who identify as queer or trans um, and they have a right to education around birthing around child care and also around infant care 
you know, like when, when you bring home baby, it's nice to know, well, what am I going to do with this baby without having uh, the weight of hearing all these, all these different pieces and, and words and language that doesn't actually fit who you are as a person and certainly doesn't fit your life and your life experiences as you become a parent. I'm Leroy. I'm a parent of a four-year-old and I'm the director of Black Lives Matter Toronto Freedom School. I sit on the board of Black Lives Matter and I've taught as well in Black Focused Education for about 10 years in the Afrocentric School. How did you and your little one, like, how did your souls come together? How did that, uh, like, what was the story, the birth story for the, for the two of you? Um, well, I'm my child's birth parent. Um, and my child was born in my home four years ago. I don't really like doctors and hospitals. So, uh, that kind of thing really, really freaks me out. So, yeah, my child was born in my home and we've been, we're a single parent, single child. And we've been together ever since then. And my kid is like, uh, like my partner in crime, like at their school uh, last week, they organized their first Black Lives Matter rally. And they did so without even telling me that was going to happen. So every morning they have a circle, morning circle. And one day they just organize everybody to start chanting <laughs> Black Lives Matter here. And they're marching around. And yeah, my kid, my kid is awesome. They're a freedom fighter. <laughs> what, how did you, how did, like, what, what's the ingredients to you raising a kid like that? Well, I mean, this movement ha- is so important to me and um, really has taken up a lot of my time and spirit over the past four years that they've been alive. And everywhere I am, they're with me, pretty much. So all the conversations that I participate in, they participate in too. And um, they're really into it. They're really into Black Lives Matter and the movement. Um, people are always like, well, what's the difference between supporting um, queer families or BIPOC families, um, you know, versus white middle class families? Like, what's your experience in terms of the similarities and differences in support that you offer as a as a doula? Uh, I think when I mean, as a doula in general, I tend to lead, I tend to let my clients lead the conversation. Um, and get to know them a bit better. But I think it's super, super important when you're sitting in front of queer and trans families or BIPOC families, because a lot of things aren't made for us. You know, a lot of things are not very affirming. Uh, the experiences can just be quite like, I don't know, they can be angering, they can be upsetting. Like we're all, we're often, you know, missing from the, the conversation. So one of the nice things that I like to do is, you know, like ask people about where they're coming from, you know, like how they met and um, how they decided to start their family, uh, which is things that I already do for um, for my my heterosexual clients. But sometimes, you know, for them, it's just like it's a very straightforward answer, whereas for queer and trans families, you know, there's so many different possibilities and I want to just be um, to be mindful of that and also to ask those questions with the intent of, of listening and getting to know them better, but also so they know that I'm really interested in their journey and who they are and finding out how I can best support them. Um, you know, that's a huge, huge, huge piece. Um, and just knowing, you know, so like, 
ask about folks' pronouns. That's not something that that a lot of people think about. You know, they we think that that's really like not important. Um, and some people don't even know. So they're like, what's a pronoun? Like, why would you ask pronouns, you know? Um, and then it's also important to note that, you know, in the current trans community, there are a lot of folks that they use um, chosen names, and it might not be the name that, that is on their birth certificate. Um, their sex may be different on their health card. Um, so there may be a lot of room where some things are a certain way, um, but really getting to know them, you can figure out how you can support that process in terms of like making sure that they feel heard and validated and they just don't become sort of like a number on the chart and they get lost in the medical system. Because I know like when you're accessing healthcare as a queer trans person, folks often, you know, like they have just no clue. They have no clue. And it can be so frustrating and upsetting um, and difficult, especially when you're in a vulnerable position and you're birthing your child, you're bringing your baby into the world and people just don't know about you and your life experiences. You know, sometimes that's um, the best thing, but often around birth and around infant care, it would be good for people to know how to support you and how to use language that feels validating and affirming and also um, how to just be mindful of like how they talk about your family, you know, like if it's a straight couple and you say to someone, you know, like your baby's so cute, they look just like their daddy. Like in queer families, you don't know how somebody's child was conceived, right? Um, just like think, just there's, it seems like little pieces, but there's so much opportunity for people to just like talk to you in a way that doesn't feel good you know and it really affects I think the experience the overall experience um I mean you you said that you gave birth at home Mm -hmm. did you like did you have support or did you like what was your care like and yeah I had an amazing black uh, midwife her name was Nicole Wade um and I think she gave birth at the first time when she was 16 Um, And she wanted to support other Black people who are going through the process of birth, knowing how scary it can be um, sometimes and and how we could be treated um, in the medical system here. Um, And I was really, really lucky to have a midwife and to have that type of support. Um, As a trans person, I needed a lot of advocacy trying to um, access different services. I had to access a lactation consultant, for example, um, when my child was born. And to find somebody who's not transphobic, who's offering that service, um, could be difficult. And I found that midwives are amazing advocates in terms of that. Um, And as well, like in the first couple of weeks that my child was alive, uh, when I did go to the lactation consultant, Um, They told me, it seems like you're having difficulty with feeding your child. Do you want us to make a referral for CAS Um, so we could get you a worker from CAS? And I was like, whoa, that's a really big, (laughs) that's a really big jump. Yeah. And um, that really kind of just like taught me a lot about the extent to which the state tries to intervene in black parenting. Um, And I was really thanking thankful that my midwife was there to advocate for me at that moment 
Um, because my midwife stepped in and was like, no, 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 that's not what, you know, Leroy needs. That's not what we're asking for. It was really just about the lactation. Um, so I think I will. What? Someone, you're just going, you're going for to, to a lactation consultant who assumes you might want a call from CS because you're, because of feeding issues. Yeah, because I, I think my child had lost like a pound or something because uh, they weren't latching the lactation. So they jumped to that. Um, wow. Is, was, um, so your midwife was really a, um, like an ally and an advocate with you during that journey. Yeah, my midwife was amazing. Like amazing. I, I feel forever thankful to have a midwife. Do they do um like did you eventually find a lactation consultant that wasn't transphobic and blackphobic <laughs> like I just gave up <laughs> like I feel like there was so much pressure around the um chest feeding thing and I'm a single parent so I was already up all night um you know with the feedings and then the latching wasn't working um and I eventually I just reached a point where I was like you don't have to feel guilty about this your child will be perfectly healthy um, regardless of what choice you make around formula or chest milk. Um, for me, chest milk was ideal, but it's like, I just decided to take the L on that one and focus on being there and having a relationship for my child and bonding in other ways. Um, and in terms of chest feeding, breastfeeding support, um, do you find there are, are uh-huh. similar or different approaches, um, depending on the families you're supporting? Uh, no, I tend to just leave the, I tend to ask them, you know, like, what are they, um, how are they hoping to feed their baby? And then I go from there and I let them say, you know, like, oh, I'm planning on nursing or I'm planning on breastfeeding or breastfeeding. Um, and some people have fluidity around those terms. And, and then I tend to just like take my cue from that. Um but usually I just tend to be more hands off in general. Like I respect people's bodies and I try not to like unnecessarily touch folks without having their consent, which I think is just a really healthy practice. Um, but knowing like I know some care providers who definitely are like beyond the whole asking if they can touch people before they help them. For example, like let me help you achieve a latch and a lot of people do ask like is it okay if I touch you or I have cold hands but can I help you get the baby to latch and then I've seen other care providers who are great and awesome at what they do but unfortunately they don't always um, preface that with like consent which is really shocking so I'm definitely mindful of that piece and unfortunately a lot of uh, queer and trans folks or or quite a few we have additional trauma um, in terms of um, just life experiences around finding out, like finding our place and finding um, how to feel good in our body and about our bodies or, um, you know, survivors of, um, of abuse as a child or as an adult. And so it's really, really important to just have that in your mind when you approach something like chest feeding, nursing or breastfeeding, because, you know, it, it just might be triggering for someone to even feed their child or to like have somebody grab their chest without asking or to use the wrong words it might also be, um, yeah, it might just be like really traumatic and be really, really a painful uh, experience. Yeah. So, and it's nice that um, 
your clients, your queer and trans clients and BIPOC clients can come to you without having uh, to feel like they have to explain their experiences all the time, which may, they may not get with um, maybe a birth worker who had to, who doesn't have the knowledge of what it's like to be queer and trans or BIPOC. For sure, definitely. I think it. I think it is one of the um, attractive pieces of finding a queer person of color to be your doula, because you know. Um, there are often some shared experiences. There are often um, some things that, you know, I haven't experienced myself, but just like the mindfulness around um, how resilient you have to be as a queer trans person to survive in this world, especially to the age where, you know, you can comfortably start a family or maybe it's not comfortably, comfortably but how you can, um, you know, start your family and look for resources and have support, you know. Um, and yeah, it gets really, really tiring having to explain to people, um, just all the things, you know, from like pronouns to, um, language that's validating and doesn't cause dysphoria or just like pure rage or upset, you know? Um, so it's definitely like really, really, really sweet for me when I can just, talk to people like it we don't have to go through that whole explanation piece of like you know I feel it's really tiring to have to do the anti-oppression piece plus access a care provider right so when people come to me I already have um, a practice that's rooted in anti-oppression so it's really great we can just get to the piece of okay what do you need what kind of support will be helpful for you It, it definitely saves a lot of the emotional labor I was thinking about the importance for you of having someone who is a black midwife and who wasn't transphobic supporting you through your own journey. Yeah, it was really important. And it was um, like to find, I think that transphobia in the birthing community and kind of like the services that are available in birthing is a big issue it was a big jump for a lot of people to understand that I'm masculine identified and male identified and that I'm giving birth. Um, and even to remember to like respect my pronouns and the way that I identify um, or like the way how I refer to my body parts or stuff like that was a challenge to find um, services. Do you think that like, do you think four years later that 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 might have changed? Do you think there's better services out there for Black trans folk? Well, I think there's um there's Black people that I know who are trained who are being trained in in midwifery, who are um, attached to the queer and trans community, who are good advocates, and I think that some changes are happening. But it's upsetting to me what's happened with midwifery and the ways that. Um, what I consider to be our ancestral knowledge is being appropriated um, through like the process of licensing um, midwives. And um, yeah, to me, to me, that's disappointing because midwifery is from black and indigenous peoples. Um, But I think like through licensing, it's a lot of people outside our community that are, getting that opportunity to be licensed. Yeah. Do, do you mean, um, do you mean like the fact that black and indigenous and 
midwives are being pushed out. Is that kind yeah, of what you're referring that's what to? I mean. mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I had a great experience at home. Um, my whole birth, I think, took five hours. Um, so, so it was very fast. Yeah, it ended up being the midwifery students, not the midwife who caught my baby, because my baby just kind of shot out. And nobody was really expecting that to happen. Um, but I felt really supported by my midwife and also by my community. Um, I had like a care team of um, friends who were supporting me through my birth and also when I had a very young baby. I was a single parent. Um, and that journey was also important to me to have like, I don't know, I think Black people in general have a different understanding of family and what it means beyond blood family. Um, and that was really cool. Will you tell me a bit about how, what that understanding is, like what the difference of understanding is? Yeah, well, I think because of immigration and because of things like enslavement, our definition of family has had to be, um, very, I guess, resilient and, um, dynamic, Um, and so my child considers many people to be part of their family, um, both blood and chosen family. Uh, they have like dozens of aunties, um, and uncles and their first family picture is like 30 queer and trans, mostly, um, black and people of color, um, that we call our family. In terms of raising your, your little one, like, what um like when when was it that you found out that they were um that they were trans and how did you support that and um so when my kid pretty much when they were able to talk um they ident they would say like I'm a girl I'm she um and I was like okay sure um my child was male identified from, from birth, but it's always been part of my understanding and philosophy that people get to self-determine their gender by, um, for themselves. And so I never, you know, questioned that or had any issue with it. Um, I guess later on, my child started to identify more as gender non-conforming and it's been like challenging in terms of every time my child starts a lesson, or goes to a new school or daycare, we have to have conversations about how to protect them and keep them safe and, you know, prevent them from being bullied. Um, So I'm also really dedicated to, um, you know, that journey of protecting my child's ability to self-determine their gender. They're very lucky to have you. (laughs) I'm very lucky to have them. True, true. It's a two-way street. Um, yeah. do you find, do you find it's been, uh, a challenge to protect their right to self-determine in different institutions or has that been supportive because you're in Toronto and maybe it's a bit more open-minded? Like, hmm. um, at times it has been a challenge. Um, like I remember when I was advocating for my child to get into a particular kindergarten program in a school that has done more kind of groundwork around pre- being prepared to support trans students. Um, I was told by my superintendent at the time that all schools are safe for trans kids. Um, And as an educator in the system, I I know that that's not true, um, unfortunately. Um, So sometimes it's been a challenge with advocacy 
And I also feel like at the same time, being in Toronto means that there are more options um, that are available. Join us for the next episode, Black Parents Matter, where I continue the conversation with Leroy about his experience as a parent and the importance of Black culturally centered school programs. And remember, if you like this episode, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.